Looking for the best place to buy tickets for any of your favorite teams or sporting events? We've got the spot. Our partner, StubHub, has been the leading ticket marketplace in the world for over 20 years, providing a 100% guarantee with every order. From a worldwide selection of live events, the widest choice of tickets and industry-leading partnerships, StubHub has what you need to purchase with confidence. StubHub, an official partner of The Athletic. This is The Athletic Baseball Show on The Athletic Podcast Network. Welcome to the Athletic Baseball Show for Friday, August 19th. Derek Van Riper here once again with Steven Nesbitt. We continue a mini-series that started up last week Friday. We assessed some rebuilds on the AL side. Today, we get to the National League side, which is right in Steven's wheelhouse. We get to talk about the Pirates today, Steven. Dude, there's no one better you could bring on for the uh, If You Rebuild It, They Will Come episode. <laughs> I'm, I'm ready to be here for the National League edition. It's weird that each of the last two weeks, we've had pretty big changes within the league. It was the Tigers last week dismissing Alavila. This week, John Daniels gone as the president of baseball operations in Texas. And we talked about it on the 3-0 show yesterday because the news broke while we were recording. And our initial reaction was just this sort of surprise at the timing because it seems like by most accounts, the Rangers, their rebuild is on track. They weren't supposed to be a playoff team in 2022. It would have been kind of a nice perk. It would have been great for them to be ahead of schedule in a season in which they spent so much money on free agents. But it almost seemed like bumping up the payroll by about $50 million from last year to this year accelerated expectations in the minds of ownership in a way that completely misaligned those expectations with where things probably were supposed to be based on the front office's plan. And you wonder what type of conversations actually were had, if any, in the in the offseason, when you you make those big signings, I mean, they had 99 days to talk things over uh, just on the uh, team front. And were there conversations about, hey, look, we just dumped uh, Adam John Gray and it's like, what, uh, like $560 million uh, into the team. Here's where we thought we were. Here's where we expect to be now that we took these opportunities to sign two of the best players on the market. And we're seeing here that they they decided, yeah, John Daniels, you're not going to get a chance to to hire. I think it's his fourth manager. It would be after Chris Woodward's fired. The timing was weird in all sorts of ways because when you fire the manager, you don't expect it two days later. Later, you're going to fire the the president or the head of baseball ops. Um, and so I don't know why things worked out in that order, but it's clear now that they want this to be the the CY show, the the Chris Young show, and uh, it. I would guess he is much more aligned with with ownership right now and what they're expecting and the timeline they're expecting because you don't sign those guys if you think you're going to win three or four years down the road. They expect to win pretty quickly. And uh, you look at their roster. I mean, <laughs> their opening day roster is not something that, that screams playoff team to you. Uh, you know, it had Willie Calhoun, Cole Calhoun. It had uh, question marks kind of left and right um, in that lineup. They had uh, Andy Abanez starting that that lineup. We had Brad Miller, a bunch of guys who were like fine players, but not cornerstones of a of, of playoff team, I don't think. And so uh, they haven't gotten a, a well-rounded team quickly enough, I suppose, because uh, they made these moves 
uh, pretty pretty swiftly here. And uh, a lot of people don't really think Chris Woodward deserved this because they just gave him extension for one more year last November, a week before they signed Seager and Simeon. Uh, but uh, I guess I guess uh, Ray Davis is, uh, has ran out of patience a little bit and they're going to go forward to see why. It always seems strange to me when a team does commit to a multi-year rebuild to change managers during the rebuild because a lot of times the manager doesn't have a lot of ability to change the outcome of a game. Like there are, there are basic things managers can do well tactically. Most managers do those things. So unless you are making egregious tactical decisions, I don't really understand why your your read on someone would change unless you had some other evidence that within the clubhouse, you, you didn't have someone who was a good people manager. Obviously, that's a huge part of the job. I, I understand that. I didn't get the sense that Chris Woodward was failing at any of those things. So this is just one of those head-scratching decisions where you know, maybe we'll see him get an opportunity to manage somewhere else someday just because there doesn't seem to be a, a tactical or or leadership quality that he's actually missing, at least from the outside. I don't cover that team. Maybe that's something that you know someone like Levi Weaver, who covers the Rangers, could speak to in more detail. Uh, but all of this is pretty strange because the Rangers also have a farm system that according to the Fangraphs updated in-season rankings, is sixth in the league. That, to me, is a sign of a rebuild on track. And as we talk about some of these NL teams, we're going to get a sense for a few teams that are doing a lot of things right, and at least one team that doesn't seem to have any sort of like future turnaround coming. Uh, I bet you could probably guess who that team is if you are a regular listener of this podcast. I was not at all surprised to see where this team was listed. We'll save them for later. Let's start with the Cubs, because the Cubs are the kind of team that should have fewer excuses than most when it comes to rebuilding. They're a pillar franchise in, in the league. They should have a big payroll. They should have all the resources they need for player development and scouting. The good news, if you're a Cubs fan, they are a top five farm system right now. I would say the bad news is that group of prospects is still a few years away. And I think it's strange because when you go back to this offseason, they added Marcus Stroman. They were the team that landed Seiya Suzuki. I started to talk myself into them being a, a quick team to get back to 500, maybe the kind of team that could hang around and even be the last wild card. I thought that was possible when the season started, and it looks like a terrible call based on how things have actually played out. So why would you add Stroman and Suzuki given the timetable for the core of your, your young prospects? It just seems like both Stroman and Suzuki will be post-peak by the time your young talent is ready to actually lead you to your next run of, of playoff teams. When the Cubs sort of in one fell swoop signaled that we are going into a mini rebuild at the deadline last year, trading Baez, trading Bryant, Rizzo, anybody else, I might be missing someone. Um, you know, it, it seemed like they're preparing the fan base, preparing the rest of baseball that it's going to be a, a couple of years before they're, they're back to it. And so the signings of, of Stroman and Suzuki, I guess, they would probably call it opportunistic, but it still doesn't make sense to this day unless you're unless you're leading to something else. Unless you're saying there's something more coming this coming offseason, maybe. I, of, of, of the teams that we're going to talk about today, they're the one team that's positioned to make a splash, right? They have the resources if they want to, to, um, to retain a Wilson Contreras, to build around what they already have. Um, but they have to do it to get back to 
to relevance here because they are sitting down with the Pirates at the dot. Uh, the Pirates and Reds really toward the bottom of the rather non-competitive bottom half of the the NL Central, and I don't think you can promise. Uh, you can't promise a quick rebuild. I don't think. Like like look around the league. Where where has that been accomplished successfully? The the two words we know how to use for doing this is rebuild and bridge and teams never use those words themselves either right the red Sox sort of famously were uh were, were adamant they would not use the words rebuild or bridge when they were bridging and rebuilding um <laughs> a few years back after um after they had to sort of re, re uh retool things and, and get back to to full strength and the cubs you know in a perfect world i can see how they would be back uh to toward the top of the NL Central, maybe in two years, um, if you make some some good signings, if these guys that you mentioned in, in the lower minors are, are just getting to the majors, and you really you really uh, get an influx of cash at that point and start spending in free agency, make some big trades, you know, trade from that dra- draft cap, uh, trade from that prospect capital for some major leaguers. Yeah, I could see the Cubs doing it more than I could see the Reds doing it. Um, they're just willing to go there, I think, with their with their payroll more, but. Uh, I don't know that Marcus Stroman is going to be under contract still when that happens. I don't think it's something you can promise a two-year two-year turnaround. When you start tearing down the way they did, I don't think it's a quick comeback. No, and I look at the Reds and the moves they made. We don't have to go into the Reds in great detail, but I think they're probably going to be quicker to competing again based on where the young players they've been trading for are at in their minor league development. All it takes is a couple of guys moving faster than expected, hitting ceilings, instead of the median projections, and that can change things pretty quickly for the Cubs. But I I would just look at those two systems and say there's a better chance the Reds are in the postseason two years from now than the Cubs as things stand right now. But I would agree with you, the Cubs can throw so many more resources into the roster that they could close that gap very quickly. Yeah, interesting would you rather for 2024, you know, whose playoff odds are you taking, uh, Cubs or Reds? Because the, the way things look currently... The Cubs have the young players who are going to be around. They have a sort of that up the middle talent and a bunch more of it coming in these trades they made this year. Um, really like what they did at the deadline. If you're going to sell, do it. And yeah, it's it's they're going to need development to come on the pitching side, certainly. But they have young pitching, and uh, the Cubs, yeah, man, it's it's. It's going to take a bit of work and, and they, they are one of those teams that I think has the resources that you can make up for a lack of development with just an, uh, with just spending and they, they could well do that. But it's going to take a lot of spending to overcome some of the flaws that this team has because they're, they're, they're pretty toward the bottom of the barrel in the National League in both offense and defense. There, there are a couple bright spots, but there are, you look up and down that lineup, there, there aren't a whole lot of guys who you're, you know, you're wanting to be in that lineup come 2024. Yeah, I, I don't know. I mean, Nico Horner has been better than I expected from a power perspective. So that looks like a, a win on the development side for them, getting him to the level he's at right now. I've always been skeptical of Nick Madrigal as someone that was going to hit big league pitching consistently. So, yep. you know, that's that's just the kind of player I'm not really into. I have no feel for what they're going to do with Wilson Contreras now. I was so sure he was gone at the trade deadline and, and probably just going to test the waters in free agency. Maybe they bring him back, but he's he's 30, so you don't necessarily look at yeah. him as a, a core guy on the next great Cubs team. So they're they're in a weird spot. And it can't be your big move either, right? That can't no. be your one offseason move is let's keep the the, the band together and, and bring, bring back the 30, 31-year-old catcher for uh, 
three, four year deal, whatever he wants. Yeah, I don't know. There, there has to be a lot more going if you're going to be if you're going to be contending with uh, with Stroman under contract. I guess you could look at it and say with Trey Turner hitting free agency this offseason with Carlos Correa possibly opting out of his deal with the Twins and going back into free agency. The Cubs should be players for guys like that from a financial perspective. Does it make sense to go after those players right now? Are you close enough to go ahead and add top end talent even with those guys kind of being at peak right now and not necessarily having four or five peak seasons left. It might be more like two or three before they kind of enter that decline phase. Yeah, I mean, if you're going to start the big spending, I would start it in the infield with those some of those names you're mentioning. I mean, look at everyone they traded. It was the whole infield, right? Rizzo, Bryant, uh, Baez. So their infield today, if I'm looking at Fangraph's roster resources, Patrick Wisdom at first, Nick Madrigal second, third is Zach McKinstry, and uh, shortstop is Nico Horner. Horner's the one guy you, you could see being there uh, a little bit longer and, and in the long run. Uh, yeah, bring in, this is such a good free agent class. Maybe they're maybe they're gearing up for that. That's the rosy colored glass, rose colored colored glasses version of this uh, situation for the, the Cubs is maybe that's that's what they're doing. They still need help on the pitching side, though, so... Um, so we'll, we'll see where they're going, but I would, uh, I, I don't hate this as a long-term home for Trey Turner, right? That, that changes your lineup pretty quickly. Mm-hmm. And it's a team that also made the playoffs in the shortened pandemic season, 2020, not that long ago. So compared to some of the other teams we're going to talk about today, they've got time as a front office before there's actual pressure on them to get back to that level. And now two pigeons bemoaning the fact you can stream direct TV satellite free. Hey, Frank, a little birdie told me you don't need a satellite dish to get direct TV. What's little birdie? Was it Jimmy the Sparrow? It's a figure of speech. Point is, you can stream direct TV over the Internet now. Oh, sure. Next, you're going to tell me those big birds are made of metal and filled with people, right? <laughs> you mean airplanes? Stream direct TV without a satellite dish. Call 1-800-DIRECT-TV. Terms or restrictions apply. Building a portfolio with Fidelity Basket Portfolios is kind of like making a sandwich. It's as simple as picking your stocks and ETFs, sort of like your meats and other topics, and managing it as one big, juicy investment. Mmm, now that's pretty good. Learn more at fidelity.com slash baskets. Investing involves risk, including risk of loss. Fidelity Brokers Services, LLC. Member NYSC SIPC. Let's get to the Pirates. This is why Steven's here. This is why everybody tuned in, because who doesn't love Pirates talk? Looking at the Fangraph's updated rankings for their system, they're at three, right? This is great. Pirates have the third best farm system in the league, according to Fangraph's. Good folks at Fangraph's are smart. I think we can take that and and be optimistic if we're trying to get Pirates fans excited. Last playoff appearance, 2015, last 500 season, 2018. Here's a couple of fun facts for you, or just one for the Pirates. Bob Nutting has owned the Pirates since 2007. They have never had an opening day payroll of $100 million. They've never done that. They've been very, very close. You could round up to $100 million, but they never actually reached that threshold. They've been dead last in opening day payroll in two of the last three seasons and higher than 24th exactly once during Bob Nutting's tenure so far as owner. So, When we look at a lot of teams, we say they spend more when they're good. They spend less when they're not. There's kind of this range. The Pirates don't necessarily have that range. They have the guy on the Monopoly card with his pockets turned inside out, just pretending like he has no money. That's the way they operate this team. So 
I'm not going to sit here and say that as this young core comes up, they're also going to start bringing in free agents to complement the young core they're developing. They look at their young core and they look at teams like the Moneyball A's and even the more recent versions of the A's and say, that's it. That's what we want. We want to be like the A's. We want to be like the Guardians. That's how I think the Pirates have to operate so long as Bob Nutting is their owner. And I guess the question is, is it different this time with Ben Charrington atop the front office? Do you feel like the the quality of the farm system and the player development and things that they need to do consistently well is reaching a level where they can actually sustain being competitive in the not so distant future? A lot to unpack there, DVR. Let me start with this. Do you know what the Pirates' largest ever free agent contract is? Oh, it's embarrassingly low. Um, was, it, was it Matt Morris? Francisco Liriano, they brought him back. So he hit free agency, they brought him right back with a, a qualifying offer attached to him. Three years, $39 million. So right then and there, I can tell you, they are not players for anyone in free agency now or going forward. They will take strategic you know, one-year deals on a Daniel Vogelbach, right? They'll, they'll, they'll make some strategic moves that sometimes pan out wonderfully. That's how they got Francisco Liriano in the first place. And things look great from 2013 to 2015. Ray Sears, the pitching coach, was hailed as the pitching whisperer, the pitching guru. Um, they had a, a system stocked with Garrett Coles and Jameson Tyones and a guy you didn't know then, but you know now, Clay Holmes was there too, was not really considered a gem of the class, but you had Chad Cool, you traded for Trevor Williams, you had uh, trading later, you, you brought in Joe Musgrove. There's been a lot of talent that came through here and they have they have failed to develop enough homegrown talent to make up for the fact they're not going to spend in free agency. And so it's been a, it, the whole, the whole Neil Huntington regime was, the tenure was trading uh, expiring assets for young talent and trying to, to build a perennial winner. So what they said every single spring training when Bob Nutting spoke to the media the one and only time each year was we're building a perennial winner here. And it sounded good until it stopped happening. Until 2016 came and Andrew McCutcheon was a lesser ver- version of t- Andrew McCutcheon. Until everyone wasn't overperforming the way they did in 2015 and suddenly you're out of the playoffs. And 2017 it's even worse. And then they finally decide to trade uh, Andrew McCutcheon and Garrett Cole and well, you know how that went. The McCutcheon trade actually worked out wonderfully. They got Brian Reynolds for it and, and Kyle Crick, another major league uh, reliever. So they put themselves in a position where they were trying to be perennial contenders and then realized that couldn't happen. They brought in, once everything went completely to ruin after the trade for uh, for Chris Archer, as you know how that one worked out, then they brought in Ben Charrington to actually truly rebuild this. The thing they said they wouldn't do, they realized they had to do. And so how is that rebuild working under Ben Charrington? It seems like it's working all right. I mean, if the playbook is, let's be really horrifically awful for a couple of years, well, that's that's happening. If you saw, it, if you saw what Dennis Eckersley said this week, it's become noticed across the league. The Pirates have a uh, a, a no-name lineup, as he said. Uh, there's no team like this. Love to see some of the service time. You add it all up. I mean, it's not much. Uh, he's not wrong. They, it's, it's not a lineup with a whole lot of name recognition. Are there some talented guys in there? Yeah. You know, Brian Reynolds is a good ball player. Key Brian Hayes is, is, I think, has way more upside than we've seen so far. They've got a couple pitchers that are interesting. Um, David Bednar has been good. Will Crow has been good. And the players have you know, rightfully so, punch back a little bit at Dennis Eckersley. I would take it personally if I were a player, but it's not really about the players, right? He called them a no-name lineup, but really what he's saying is 
this team hit a rebuild and they did it all the way. They stripped down to the studs and now we have a lineup of prospects that they don't anticipate are probably ever going to be part of the real future. And uh, But they're there and they're going to try them out and that's where they are. So it's a part of the baseball universe that is not actually trying to be a World Series contender. Some teams say they are all the time. The Pirates are at a t- position where they're happy to say we're, we're building. We're building. They won't say they rebuild, but um, that's where they are. Do I think things are going on track? They seem to be because the goal of a rebuild is to get the best prospect system you can get and turn those guys into major leaguers, which takes a lot of good prospects. And yeah, they're up at the top of the prospect rankings now. And and so it seems like it's on track, but it's always going to take longer than you thought. You know, did Bob Nutting think knew, think it was going to take five years to get back to a, a 500 team? Probably not. Would he have signed up for that? I don't know. But uh, it's the way that Charrington and his team think they have to do it in Pittsburgh because they're not going to spend uh, on bringing in free agents and that sort of thing. Yeah, I know the way that revenue sharing works and and, and TV deals already being in place, it all makes this impossible. But I, I really wish Major League Baseball from the beginning had been structured more like English football, where you have promotion and relegation, right? Where you have your best 20 teams or 24, whatever the number is, but there's an actual consequence to the long-term rebuild, to putting a bad product together, to failing at this game. Because if you had that, I think there's a couple things that would happen, right? The the best teams would play each other more often because you, you've weeded out the bottom six, bottom eight, bottom 10 teams. You put them into a second league where they can compete with each other. And then at least if you're a fan of one of those bad teams, maybe you can be excited about winning a, a second division championship. That could be a thing. And... Aside from that, that punishment from like a financial perspective, you'd obviously make a lot less money being in the second division. I, I think you'd you'd find that the appetite for being bad for four or five years would quickly go away. You yeah, might take gone, a chance. Yep. You might you might say, yeah, we're gonna we're gonna we're gonna cut payroll for a year. We're gonna go young for a year, but we still have to be good enough. We still have to take some players on one year deals. Like kind of doing what the Cubs did, I guess. Bring some free agents in, not tank to the bottom of the standings play well enough to stay in the highest league and then we'll keep getting better next offseason. And I think that from a fan perspective is so much easier to deal with. I just think from a long-term interest of the sport perspective, if you if you're a kid growing up in Pittsburgh right now, let's just say you're you're 8 to 15 years old and this is that age, that range where you'd ordinarily fall in love with baseball. Can you fall in love with baseball as a kid when the team that you see the most, the closest team to you, the team you want to root for, is this bad? I, I I don't know. I think that's that's also part of how the game fails to grow over time. It's not the only reason. Tanking's not the only reason why baseball struggles with a younger demographic. But I just think the stakes would be so much higher on these teams if they had a structure more like what we see with football in England. What gets me too is the lack of transparency transparency that often comes with a rebuild. Is there's no telling your fans. I mean we we all watching it knew it the minute Neil Huntington was fired that they were going to go in a direction that meant pairing back the roster, trading the Joe Musgroves, the uh, Jamison Tyones, the Josh Bells, every the Starling Martes, everyone who had value in the trade market that would be traded sooner than later. However, there was no moment where Bob Nutting sat down and told the fan base, listen, we tried to do this the right way to make the playoffs every year. It worked. We got back to the playoffs three times. It was like the joy of the city that this happened. The fan base was overjoyed that they got to the playoffs. 2015 was one of the best teams I've been around. Won 98 games. Unfortunately, Cardinals won more and they lost. Uh, the Pirates lost in the wildcard game. 
And so there was no moment where Bob Nunley looked in the TV camera and said, hey, we tried. We're going to do it a different way. I'm, I promise you I'm going to spend when the time comes. I'm going to go get some of the best players in the game. Uh, we're going to develop some of the best players in the game, but it's going to take us four years. It's going to take us four years. To pay some of your favorite, your kid's favorite player is going to be traded. I'm sorry about that, but this is the way this industry has to work. You can cry poor in a small market, whatever you need to do. But at what point do we actually need to see progress? Because there, there never was... There never was that moment where an owner sits down in any market where they're rebuilding and tells the, the fan base what to expect. So when do we expect to see wins? The Pirates are, what, five years into this now? Four, fourth season into this? Like a true teardown? And they're nowhere close to being a contending team, right? They're nowhere, next year's not going to be a playoff team. What, what, what leads you to believe that? They're not going to spend in free agency. You're expecting to see all, all sorts of internal, um, you know, like homegrown development that's going to make them a playoff team. No, we can all look at that team and know they're a couple years away still. Well, a couple years, we're talking about what, seven years since you started this whole thing. So I wish there was, if you can't force people to spend money. You can't force owners to spend money and, and, and the fan argument you're going to scream into your microphone right now is let's do a let's do a salary cap, let's do a salary for it. Well, I understand that that would be one way to force an owner to spend, um, but the players are not going to accept that and so the owners are not going to, out of the goodness of their heart, force each other to spend. And so we're stuck with the system we have and the Pirates are doing this in a way where you can't tell whether it's painful for the Pirates to lose. And by the Pirates, I mean I mean, the, the front office and the ownership, right? The players, yeah, it, it's terrible to lose, right? They don't like being a no-name lineup, being made fun of by Dennis Eckersley. But for ownership, there's no coming forward and saying, this is really rough for us. We're losing a ton of money. We're spending all sorts of money and we're getting loss after loss after loss and we're not getting any closer. So at what point do we see, we, do we need to see um, a step forward or are we going to be in a position like the Reds kind of were, where you get back to the 500 level for the 2020 pandemic year and then maybe one year you you do the Castellanos thing and and uh you're you're a potential playoff team and then you're back to another rebuild like what a what a rough way to live for small markets and, and the pirates are mired in the middle of it um because technically this dvr this might be a successful rebuild this might be what that looks like but what a terrible thing for fans yeah so we talked to Alec Lewis last week about the Royals, and I think the Royals, because they had back-to-back World Series appearances and a World Series win, as a small market, I mean, that's just, that's a total game changer. I think that buys you a lot of credibility with your fan base. I think the, yeah. the timing of the Pirates being good and, and you know, the situation running into the wild card game, like that's kind of bad luck in, in some ways. That could, that's just a coin flip in, in, so, many, in so many instances. All of that is is just a, a total uphill battle. I think being in the central, it's a lot easier to bounce back. And I think with the Pirates, six of their seven top prospects per fan graphs are currently at double A. Those yeah. guys are going to start arriving in the big leagues mostly next year. I mean, by 2024 at the latest for the most part. And I think the way I think about a rebuild, I always want to have more position players than pitchers if I have to be imbalanced one way or the other. I think it's always easier or more reliable to develop those position players and then flip flip bats for pitchers later if you have to or sign free agent pitchers i think scrap heap pitching is actually a little bit easier to figure out there's more things you can do you can have pitchers change the shape of a pitch you can try and add velo you can do different things that way that 
maybe make that part of your roster better in the end. So thinking about the timing, thinking about the current trajectory, this does seem like an on-track rebuild. I'd be surprised if they made changes in the front office. I don't think they need to yet. I think that if they don't take another step forward, though, if they're not close to 500 next year, maybe then we start to see something similar to what we've had in in other rebuilds gone wrong. But I think if you're you're looking at this team, even as you're frustrated as a fan, you're probably feeling better than you have in a long time about the possibility of the window opening again soon. What do you think about Cabrian Hayes at this point? You know, we're another another season into his young career. Fantastic defender at third. Interesting player because he's he's not hitting for the power that people expected him to develop, but I think it's still too early to to write off that possibility. Do you think we're going to see one more level from Cabrian Hayes offensively? in 2023 2024 because i think that would be huge for them to get another consistently dangerous bat in the core alongside brian reynolds right if he tops out as like a a two hitter i guess it's not a huge loss but coming up it seemed like he had such a good um feel for the zone such such a good plate approach at times that we just assumed that the power was going to develop. You know, he had a major league dad. He's he's a hitting instructor. This guy has taken more reps in the cage than than almost anyone out there at his age. So he's still young, and and it could develop. But the 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 max exit, exit velo type stuff is there, right? He's got that some of those uh, some of those peripherals, but it's just inconsistent with him. And so, can he get the ball in the air? Can he um, can he barrel more consistently? I think it's still in there, and they they signed him long term with the belief that it is. But um, at some point, you're going to want your corner infielder, your third baseman, with this great glove to be hitting for more extra base. Even if it's not just homers, you know, it's just more extra base. And um, so. I think it's in there. I think the rebuild can survive even if he's he never develops into a 20-plus homer guy. Um, but they've invested for them a lot in him, right? It's He's actually the, the other trivia answer, the, the largest contract ever given out by the Pirates, um, ever guaranteed money, is him, uh, the extension he signed this spring. So um, I still think there are there are you know many brighter days ahead for him. I, I tend to think he's a guy who would thrive in an environment where you're actually on a competitive team. Right now, he's this infield he's worked with has changed every other day. And so it, if they get if they get a year or two down the road and they're closer to something special, I, I think that um, he's going to be a big part of it. And I think his bat is going to be a big part of it as well because uh, I don't know what the future for Brian Reynolds is there. He hasn't shown, I think, a ton of interest in, in signing an extension and and probably rightfully so. Um, I would make the the team show me what they're going to do first. Show your hand uh, about how you're going to build around me before I sign an extension with you. But uh, Hayes is here for the long haul and, and uh, his bat's going to be a big part of that. And getting trades right as you kind of finish out the rebuild is still important. If they're going to move Brian Reynolds this winter via trade, getting something really good back, maybe Major League Ready pitching would be one thing they could really target instead of saying we're trading for someone who's three years away let's find a team maybe like the marlins and take one or two of their big league ready pitchers and and install those guys in the rotation in the bullpen i think that'd be one potential great fit there o'neill cruz of course always interesting going through his rookie season right now k rates up walk rates down pretty normal stuff that you see for a young player I, i think the tools speak for themselves it's it's only a matter of time before he can put it all together i'm i'm still very much in on o'neill cruz despite the 195 242 397 line that we're looking at here 
almost 50 games into this season at the big league level. I feel like with his his unique skill set, I, I just expect that when I check his baseball reference 10 years from now, it'll be one of those guys where you're just like, oh, yeah, the first year, that must have been kind of rough for him. You know, like so many rookies have that. And when you're built like he's built um, and already had swing and miss in the minors, then yes, you're going to get exposed. You're going to have moments of, of uh, moments of like Titanic home runs into the, into the, the river uh, outside PNC park. And you'll have moments where you just can't hit a curveball and uh, a breaking ball just makes you look, look like a, a minor leaguer again. And that's, that's, I think to be expected with, with where he's at, he was never the most polished hitter, but he has a ton of power. And if he can stick in the middle of the infield, what's like, that's just like such a fascinating player to me. So uh, he's got speed as well. So, I, I don't write him off at all so far, but my read for the Pirates is give him playing time. Let's keep rolling him out there because they don't have any sure things in the middle infield as as they are already. You know, Kevin Newman's been their shortstop for quite a while and and he just doesn't have the bat, I think, to stick. And so keep rolling O'Neill Cruz out there. See if see if he can be a shortstop so that by the time you're expecting to be good, you know what to do with him. Yeah, you'll know where he's playing defensively and you've Kind of worked out all the kinks for him as a hitter by that time as well. I hope they stay patient with him. I don't think they need to send him back to AAA anytime soon. Just let him solve big league pitching. It will pay off, I think, in the long run if they can do that. Speaking from some some experience watching the Pirates, I don't remember the last time that sending someone to AAA worked for them. They've tried it with everybody. From the, the pitching front especially, Mitch Keller, uh, Tyler Glass now. Um, all these guys, they, they said, you know, it's just not working at the major league level. Um, hasn't worked then. And I think what they need to do more of and what they've tried to do more of, I think, in recent years is give a guy a different role in the majors. Maybe we're not sending Tyler Glass now out there every five days right now. Maybe we find a spot for him in the bullpen and work with different people in our in our throwing program uh, to try to unlock what the Rays ended up unlocking because, um, boy, they 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 gave up on, on Tyler Glass now in a big way because if you look back, it's not just they got impatient. It was horrible. It was really bad for a pretty decent sample in the major leagues. Um, and uh, they decided they, they weren't going to see the best of Tyler Glass now. And, and Mitch Keller was a similar case. Uh, he's been really subpar for quite a long time as a top prospect, a uh, former top prospect. And, and now it took them this long, four years you know, in the majors, parts of four seasons, to figure out that maybe this guy who's got the flattest fastball that we've seen in quite some time needs to throw a sinker, you know, like and, and he's looking a lot better since he did it. So um pitching they've they've really struggled to develop anything close to an ace you don't have to have an ace if you could develop five number twos you'd be just fine um and so that's part of what you're talking about they, they probably need to trade for those guys because you're not going to sign a, you're not going to sign a number one in free agency ever and so you need to develop them maybe that's a quinn priester maybe he's a number two and uh and probably trade for some of those guys and use maybe brian reynolds as an opportunity to you know we can we can find some outfield bats. They might not be as good as him, but we I, I think we have a better shot of developing an outfielder being anywhere close to as good as Brian Reynolds as we do developing uh, you know, an ace. And now, two pigeons bemoaning the fact you can stream DirecTV satellite-free. You see this? A family watching baseball on DirecTV with no satellite dish in sight. Let's heckle them. You call that changing the channel? Choke up on the remote, buddy. I hope getting all these games on DirecTV makes up for your mother not pre-chewing your sunflower seeds. DirecTV has the most MLB games. Call 1-800-DIRECTV. Claim based on total games carried on sports networks. Sports availability varies by zip code and requires choice package. Terms and restrictions apply. 
As you've probably heard by now, we've teamed up with BetMGM this season. We'll be using BetMGM lines to make all of our picks, and we'll have special offers for our listeners each week. If you haven't signed up for BetMGM yet, use bonus code THEATHLETIC, and you'll get a one-year subscription to The Athletic, plus up to a $1,500 first bet offer on your first wager with BetMGM. Here's how it works. Download the BetMGM app and sign up using bonus code THEATHLETIC. Make your first deposit of at least $10, place your first bet on any game, and claim your voucher for a one-year subscription to The Athletic. See BetMGM.com for terms. U.S. promotional offers not available in D.C., Mississippi, New York, Nevada, Ontario, or Puerto Rico. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER. Available in the U.S. Call 877-8-HOPE-NY or text HOPE-NY 467-369 in New York. Call 1-800-NEXT-STEP in Arizona. 1-800-327-5050 in Massachusetts. 1-800-BETS-OFF in Iowa. 1-800-270-7117 for confidential help in Michigan. 1-800-981-0023 in Puerto Rico. First bet offer for new customers only in partnership with Kansas Crossing Casino and Hotel. Don't forget, if you haven't signed up for BetMGM yet, use bonus code THEATHLETIC and you'll get a one-year subscription to The Athletic plus up to a $1,500 first bet offer on your first wager. Let's go to the NL West where I think things are a lot more difficult if you're trying to rebuild. I mean, the Dodgers alone make being in that division tough, but of course the Padres going about their business the way they do, spending the way they do, having A.J. Preller acquiring talent the way that he has over the last couple of seasons. Uh, And then you tack on the fact that the Giants are another team that spend a lot, that uh, turn really well on the waiver wire. They seem to just have this this group of coaches throughout their organization that gets a ton of mileage out of players that many of us have low expectations for. I, I will I will probably look back on the 2021 Giants as one of the most surprising teams of my entire life. I mean, I, I think most people will, even if they are good next year or if they rally and somehow get into the wild card mix this year, that'd be a pretty big surprise. But last year was just amazing. No one saw that coming. And I still don't, to this day, really know how they did it. But let's talk about the Diamondbacks because they're also one of the better farm systems going right now. They've had a few very early picks that they have crushed. Corbin Carroll, I think in the eyes of some, is now the best prospect in the minor leagues. He'd probably be in the big leagues already if not for a shoulder injury that cost him a bunch of time. But there's power, there's speed. And I think it's also pretty fun that they got Drew Jones in the 2022 draft. So they've got a couple of potential stars that should be in the big leagues relatively quickly. Carol, Carol's coming up next year. Jones is going to take some time because he just had shoulder surgery himself and he's straight out of high school. But I like this system a lot. And they've actually got pitching that's close to big league ready. I guess the question I have is, can they be as good or good enough to to make the playoffs having to deal with the other great teams that are in the NL West right now? They've done it in a way that's sort of splitting the difference, I think, between a hardcore rebuild and something more mild, where they have spent a bit. I mean, look at their roster now, and they've they've pulled in, it feels like, a free agent basically every, you know, of significance every year, uh, and it hasn't really all worked out for them. But I, I think they have probably as many guys over 30 as they do under 25 on this roster. They have a lot of guys getting close, and a couple guys who have just kind of crested to the majors. You have Alec Thomas who's been really exciting this year. Uh, everyone's excited to see Corbin Carroll. Um, Dalton Varshow's there as well. Um, but it feels like a team that that hasn't gone all the way in uh, on the rebuild, and I think it's been the right play. Find out what opportunities you can find for someone who might be 26, 27, 28, uh, or older. And um, it's so hard to <laughs> to compete in a division like this, in a division like the AL East as well, um, you got to nail how you rebuild. 
where you got to spend a lot of money to make up for support to sort of patch the holes and where you made mistakes. And so I think they're doing it right. They, they've just seemed to be a team a little bit stuck kind of in the middle. And I don't say that as a bad thing. Um, you know, I'm, I'm Mike Hazen in spring training. I remember saying that we're not rebuilding. We're just building toward a better team. And, and so um, it's a team that hasn't fully, fully embraced that, which, which I think is fine. And they're already surpassed their, their win total last year. They're, they're headed in the right track. Um, but there's going to be a little bit of, uh, I don't know. I think they're going to have to spend a little bit more here, find some, some free agents to, to patch these holes because they're not a, they're not a fully fledged roster at this point. And they don't think that their system is as well-rounded maybe as some others. It has the star talent. Uh, Drew Jones, of course, uh, they just drafted, he got injured. Uh, Corbin Carroll is going to be great, but, uh, it's a team though, I think is willing to do a little bit of spending to acquire maybe that top end pitching they're going to need. Yeah, Jordan Lawler, another impact guy in that system, probably closer than Jones, just because he's already started his career. He's a little older, uh, but another guy that plays up the middle, can do everything. I think when he comes up, we're going to be really excited about him. I think what's going to make or break them as a, a near-term possible playoff team is how good Dre Jamison and Brandon Fott and Ryan Nelson and Blake Walston, the pitchers that are knocking on the door, I guess Slade Ciccone and Bryce Jarvis could be part of that group too. Double A and above pitchers, they've got about as many of them as any organization around the league right now. If they can turn half of those guys into good big league starters and maybe one or two more end up in the bullpen, you kind of expect out of a group of five or six pitchers, unfortunately one to two are going to get hurt. But if they can hit on the guys that stay healthy, that could be the difference. That could be the thing that propels them maybe even ahead of San Francisco for a while and, and puts them on the same level as San Diego. I, I don't think expecting to be as good as the Dodgers is a fair expectation for any organization. I, I think expecting to be competitive for playoff spots is the main goal you should aspire to. And I think they have positioned themselves to become that kind of team. And they're also, maybe I have a bad read on on, on Phoenix as a, a market. I just feel like you can get away with a rebuild there. And yeah. I think it's, it's one of those places where so many people that live there came from somewhere else or their parents came from somewhere else and they have a team they root for already. You have all these transplants that root for other teams around the country that the, the core fan base is still relatively small for as large as the area is. And I think that just makes makes rebuilding somehow a little more tolerable, but it also just feels like the team sort of lacks identity. And it's also just not being that old of a franchise, right? They're an expansion team in the 90s, so so that's part of it too. But all in all, I think this is another on-track sort of rebuild and a team that if you put them in one of the central divisions, we would talk about them a lot more often because the future is very bright. Yeah, no, I'm with you there. It, um I remember when when Charrington got hired in Pittsburgh, I was talking to someone who used to work with him in Boston, and he said, "I uh, Ben Charrington would have loved to have rebuilt the Red Sox at a time when they decided not to do that, but it's not tolerable in Boston. It's not something that the fan base is willing to let happen. And so Pittsburgh, it, as the conversation went on, Pittsburgh is a, a more attractive situation because he can do what he wants with it. And Arizona, like you know, like Pittsburgh in a way, a small market, there is some a little more tolerance of saying, this is how we have to do it. If we're going to keep up with the big boys, this is how we got to do it. And so let's be, we're going to be bad for a few years. And I, I sort of tip the cap to the, to the front office and ownership there in that they have done some of these free agent moves. You know, they brought in a bum garner. Has it worked out really? Has it been worth the money? Probably not. Um, but they, you know, made attempts over the years to, to keep uh, Paul Goldschmidt. It feels like they haven't been super relevant since, since trading away Goldschmidt. Um, 
but at least they've had some of those guys around for for quite a while. So I don't think it's going to take them forever to get back. And and maybe I'll I'll make you like one to four of these these rebuilding teams at the end of who you'd rather have over the next ten years. But I don't feel bad about where they're at. And I do think Corbin Carroll, like if he is the star that so many in the prospect universe think he's going to be. I mean, that's there's your there's your cornerstone, and they already have some in place in Arizona. So I don't think it's going to take them forever, and I think they have the willingness to do a little a little bit of spending to add where they have to. Yeah, it might not be three or four big free agents over the next few years, but it might be one big one and a few other multi-year players that can really kind of put them back in that 85 to 90 win range in the next couple of seasons. Now let's talk about the Rockies. I think they're the outlier of these three teams. This is a seem like it's like it's like the money pit. I mean, it, the problem is the money pit analogy doesn't work because ownership makes money on this. And I get it. Building a good baseball team in Colorado is very hard. It, it's just the nature of Coors Field. It's, it messes up your pitching. Your hitters go on the road. Pitches move more. I understand all of that. And thanks to the Dodgers, the Rockies are probably going to finish 30 plus games back of first place for the third time in the last three full regular seasons. So some of that's the Dodgers being outstanding right now. And some of that is the Rockies just really struggling to find their identity. Um, the Rockies have never won the NL West, Stephen. Isn't that weird Oof, that's not to, good. to exist for 30 years and to never win your division? That, that seems almost uh, mathematically impossible last playoff appearance 2018 last 500 season also 2018 so four years of being bad and a farm system that Fangraphs has at 19th league wide it's a bad that, combination that is not good uh so what should they be doing differently because if they're different if the situation is not the same as any in in the league and i, I think that's a fair statement for them what do they have to do to find ways to make the unique circumstances of Colorado actually work for them? Do you think the Rockies uh, front office and ownership, do you think they think they're rebuilding? I don't really know what they think they are. I, I never get the sense. When, I didn't get this with, with Jeff British. I don't really get it now either, even after the change. I, I don't. I don't think they really know who or what they are as an organization. I think in some ways they believe they're good enough on paper to, to hang around and be a wild card team. Like they must, they must look at models and, and yeah. see the variance and, and ignore the median outcome and look only <laughs> at like the 0.1% outcome of winning 87 games and say, we could win 87 games this year. And they convince themselves that that's good enough. And it, it it's kind of brutal because I think this is a good fan base for, for a, a younger yeah. franchise. This, this, the Rockies don't have the same problem. The diamondbacks do. I know a lot of people have moved to Denver like in the last 10 years and that city's changing like crazy, but I feel like this team has more of an identity than the Diamondbacks do. And it's a great ballpark. They, they draw well, but they just can't figure it out. And I, I guess if you said you're in charge of the Rockies, what are you doing? No team in the league would have more tech than the Rockies. Ooh, if I yeah. were in charge, I would, yep. it would be it's such a scientific process to, to break down their problems and to find a way to overcome them. Okay, back to your question. What would I do if I were the Rockies? How, how do you go about this? I would first off admit we're rebuilding. And I would say, do we can we can we take back that contract that we gave to Chris Bryant? Because I think there are different directions you could have gone with that money. And this is not to say that Chris Bryant won't be a healthy player, couldn't be an MVP candidate once one day down the road. But it didn't make sense with where, where they're currently at. They're a team of... 
half their team's over 30. You know, this is not this is not a young team and it's not a team that has a good farm system. And I don't know the quick path back to contention for this team. Are they the worst team in the league? No, they're okay. They're not good. They're not a playoff team. They're not close to the wild card, but they're not embarrassing themselves on like a win-loss record year in and year out. Um, and yeah, if, if they got that, they got that best case scenario one year, they could, they could be in the hunt a little bit. They could be a third place, maybe jump somebody in that division. But I don't see the long-term vision in Colorado. And I'm not sure they do either, right? That, how clear could that be when you sign Nolan Arenado to, a, to an extension and then you decide that was a bad idea and then you offload it, you know, <laughs> offload it for five prospects who have made no real impact uh, on your roster so far. And so how do you win in Colorado? I think you let's hunt power. Let's hunt pitching because you're not going to get it. You're not going to get a, a top starting pitcher to sign in Colorado, even if they had a better offer he's probably not taking it because who wants to go pitch uh at colorado it's not fun and so yes you have to be this you do have to be the smartest team out there and i think in some ways they think they're different they think they need to build a team differently and i think they're right i just don't think they're doing it correctly and i'm not going to say dvr or i would would would, <laughs> would nail it but boy give you give me as much i think i might hire eno saris as my as my gm i would get as much information and be like you know dive through this and just like find a way that we can find the smallest edges because they're not finding them. And uh, I don't trust that their front office as they get rid of analysts after analysts is particularly close to finding it either. And so the the Rockies, I do think have to have to build things differently. You're going to have to build pitching first. And uh, that's where I would start. And it's the easiest answer. Everyone says it, right? You got to find ground ball pitchers, find people who, who can, who can, uh, sort of pull movement out of the air there because it it takes it away but um but it's going to have to start with homegrown pitching because because I don't think you're going to get a whole lot of guys to come there and if you get that boy hitters would love to go there right I think I do think you're going to I think you're going to be able to entice some hitters to come there um and uh player days in Colorado I was just there last weekend my brother's wedding shout out Peter and Gina we had a great time uh, a bunch of people went to the the Rockies game I, I just missed it but beautiful ballpark i've been to a ton of times but it's almost like they've had to to bring in their 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 best bet to put out a starting rotation is to bring in guys on one-year deals you know this year is a chad cool they brought in and you had herman marquez kyle freeland have been around a few years but um you just need a, a larger core of, of good starting pitching yeah i think the other roster construction aesthetic or, or core trait that i would want I would want a team that was great defensively at as yeah. many positions as possible. I mean, there's a lot of reasons why the Arenado trade was, it was just a, a absolute mistake by the front office, the former front office regime, just botched the relationship with, with Arenado himself, didn't get a very good return of the trade, wrong at, like at every turn. But run prevention becomes even more important when your ballpark increases runs as much as Coors Field does. So if you have a team that's very athletic and plays great defense, that also works on the road, right? Your pitching doesn't work same home and road. Your bats don't work quite the same home and road. So the one core trait of your team that you could have that is more portable than everything else is being an elite defensive team. So I would like to believe that if I were in charge of the Rockies or had some sort of uh, influence on the decision-making process, that over time, 
our organization would be comprised of players who are elite defenders. I'm not saying guys that can't hit. I'm not saying guys that can't do other things. I'm just saying that's something we would emphasize a lot more than if I were running a different ball club. I just think it's more important in Colorado to steal back as many runs as you possibly can. And I don't know if they've really had any points where they've been the best defensive team in the league, even though they've had some elite defenders along the way, Arenado being the most recent great example. Interesting if you could build a team on speed and defense there. Because I'm looking at this now, they're, they, the, 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 they're last in the National League in steals. Like, not even particularly close. They have 33 in the the Marlins lead with 100. And I understand there would be some difficulties with getting a speed first team at altitude. And maybe you wouldn't want to be gassing guys at altitude. And also, you don't want to run it out when there are so many runs to be had there. Um, but that would be interesting if you could build a team that was... Um, First off, a great defense to help out pitchers who are going to have a hard time there in the first place. Uh, speed to help in the outfield. That's such a huge, huge outfield. And then, yeah, just be that team that can that can manufacture more runs in an environment that loves them. Yeah, it'd be fun to see a good team in Colorado someday. I just don't think we're anywhere close to seeing that for some reasons that are out of out of their control. I mean, you can't you can't change the way the ballpark plays. You can change the way your team plays within the ballpark. And I think there's a couple different ways to try and, and shake things up uh, of these four teams you were going to throw this question to me and now i'm going to turn it back <laughs> on you i think the rockies are a clear four but who's the next one of these teams to win a playoff series next to win a playoff series i and we'll count even the wild card to be part of that maybe um i would go with the cubs and i know that might be that might not be the 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 crowd pick here but i do think they have a couple pieces in place and they have uh, the resources to spend to get themselves there and they're in a bad division. And so if I, if I look at like the diamondbacks, I say, well, I kind of like what you got going here and you got some prospects on the way that'll help a big time, but you've got to contend with a really difficult division where maybe the cuts sneak up and the, you know, the brewers start tailing off. Um, I would no, not the Brewers. I would never pick the Brewers here. DVR, the Cardinal, <laughs> the Cardinals tail off, and the and the Cubs pick things up. So I would go Cubs. I think not confidently, but that's where I'm going. Yeah, I've been waiting 20 years for the Cardinals to tail off. And <laughs> it's just not it's not happening. But uh, I, I think the reasoning is sound. I I think if I had to rank them, I would put the Cubs first as the the team I expect to win a playoff series next. And we'll count the the wild card round, the best of three wild card round, which seems like an improvement. By the way, I'm actually kind of excited to see how those series play out this year. I'd put the Diamondbacks second. I think they are more balanced than the Pirates. I think the star potential of their system gives me a little more optimism as well. I think that could be the difference maker. Whereas the Pirates will keep getting incrementally better. I think they might kind of hit that same peak they hit last time they were good, where they're they're barely in the playoffs and they get bounced by a team that's just better than them because that team that's better than them outspent them in every possible facet and just was flat out better um, sorry to rain on your parade again pirates fans at the very end but i think that's the difference for me between the diamondbacks and the pirates the little higher ceiling on some of those impact players coming up with arizona yeah if we twisted the question a little bit and said you know who do you who would you rather have uh for the rest of the decade right through the 2020s i would go diamondbacks first i think they have the keys the the, the pieces in place to be pretty special and then after that i might go I don't know. I might go Pirates over Cubs. I mean, I think they have a bright future coming. Um, I think they're going to have a couple great years. I really do. Uh, but it's going to be later in the decade, and it's 
probably not going to be sustained because I don't think they're going to spend enough to sustain it. I don't think Ben Sherrington would be here if he didn't think they were going to suspend, spend some, right? They'll break the, the hundred million mark uh, with an opening day roster one day. Um, but uh, then go Cubs and I, Rockies. I think I have to go last because I could, I can see a version of their future where they're, they don't really figure things out the next couple of years and they don't have the farm system to give them the boost. Right. And so unless you're, unless you're going to spend big to, to make up for, for what's missing, um, I just they just feel like kind of kind of like aimless at this point. I'll say this right now too. I will give Bill Schmidt and that front office extra credit if they exceed expectations because of how difficult it is there. I am not trying to pick on the Rockies because yeah. it's fun to pick on the Rockies. I just look at them and I keep wondering why they don't try something different, why they don't invest in areas that the very best clubs invest in. They seem to be pushing against that, and, and maybe that's an ownership thing. Uh, but I think Rockies fans, among the many fan bases in Major League Baseball right now, that simply deserve better. That is going to do it for this episode of The Athletic Baseball Show. If you don't have a subscription already, you can get one for a dollar a month for the first six months at theathletic.com slash baseball show. Give Steven a follow on Twitter at Stephen J. Nesbitt. Give me a follow at Derek Van Riper. The Athletic Baseball Show returns on Monday. Have a great weekend. Hey, baseball fans, this is Derek Van Riper. Now that spring training games are underway, opening day is just a few weeks away. Eno Saris and I have been getting ready for the season all winter on Rates and Barrels. Whether you're a seasoned fantasy player, a baseball stats junkie, or just someone who wants to learn more about the game, join us for four episodes each week this season, including our new Friday live stream with former big leaguer Trevor May. Check out the live stream on Fridays at 1 o'clock Eastern on the Rates and Barrels YouTube channel, or listen to the show wherever you enjoy your podcasts, including the ad-free option on the Athletic app.